Broadcasting to New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Sydney, London, and around the world, this is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm and a live link at thetrumpet.com. Coming up on today's program, some uh, wild weather on the way for the United States. You might be in the midst of it right now. We'll take a look at some of what you can expect in the week ahead. Also, a few interesting studies looking at uh, a few things, including stress and uh, debt. Two things we don't like, but uh, some numbers about what's going on in the country with those uh, topics and more of that coming up and other things on today's edition of Trumpet Radio Live. This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG. Online, we are at kpcg.fm and have a live link at thetrumpet.com. I'm Dwight Falk. Grant Turgeon here today as well, and uh, I've been I've been lied to, Grant. I checked the forecast this morning, and they had all these, you know, they told me all kinds of things. It's not happening. It's colder than, than they said it was going to be. It's It was pouring rain, and now it's like ice pelting. <laughs> yeah, I saw you coming in. You you look like you were you know one of those guys trekking across the uh, Arctic out there. <laughs> yeah, I was very careful going up those ste- steps too. It's would not be a good time to fall right before going on the radio. No, it's uh, we had just some wild weather. Now we got kind of a blizzard going on outside, which is you know I like a little bit of snow, so maybe we'll get some. But this uh, USA Today is saying there's wild, weird weather on the way. Record cold in the west, record warm in the east, and flooding in the center. So no matter where you are, something a little unusual is happening, potentially. Uh, A wintry west is coming, 6 to 12 inches of snow in different parts of the west. Uh, Some of that's already fallen, I guess. Record warm in the east is coming. They're going to be up into the, uh, uh, even in the 80s in some cases. And then uh, rain, snow, and flooding in the central U.S. over the next few days. The the biggest areas are supposed to be Dallas up through Little Rock and kind of into St. Louis area. They could get four to six inches plus of rain. Wow. So we're getting some right now. I think it's kind of moving through. We're right on the outside edge of that. I don't think we'll get quite as much, but they're supposed to get up to half a foot or more of rain. Yeah, thankfully we don't get caught in the middle of that too often. But on the other hand, we get the brunt of the tornadoes. So like you said... Nowhere, no matter where you go, it's hard to escape at least some kind of weather atrocity. <laughs> yeah, it's been one of those years, uh, and so uh, the, the weather has changed. I mean, we were what were we in the seventies yesterday, and today we're down into the thirties. And uh, thunderstorms this morning, and now again it's snowing and icing. So, well, even earlier this morning it was like in the fifties, mm-hmm. and then it went from the forties to the thirties pretty quickly, and now we've got tiny ice pellets hitting everything outside. Yeah, I made the mistake of believing the forecast about a day ago and kind of going off of that. And I came in pretty early and uh, I thought, oh, it's warm. It's going to be warm today. It's going to cool down tomorrow. That's what I thought. And I didn't bother wearing a coat. I made a grievous mistake. But I did. I do have a sweater that I keep in the office. So that'll that'll give me a little bit of cushion against the, <laughs> the elements out there. But I thought, wow, I totally. That's why, you know, years ago when people didn't have access to forecasts and they would go on a, a trek, sometimes they didn't come back. 
because mm, the weather changed right. dramatically and they weren't dressed for it. Yeah, there's a lot of risk to something like that. I'm just thankful that we both spend the majority of our days inside. We just have to basically transition from building to car to building a couple times, and that's about it. Yeah. Be careful if you're driving around out there. It is it is getting icy in different parts of the country, so I just got to watch out. Here's a quick little story that's uh, pretty interesting. President Trump, uh, you've got to hand it to him. He's kind of the master of catching people uh, being somewhat hypocritical. President Trump tweeted what Mr. Obama wrote before the election. They, they, at the time, most people, most people thought Hillary Clinton was going to win. And uh, so President uh, Obama tweeted this or wrote this. There is no serious person out there who would suggest somehow that you could even rig America's elections. There's no evidence that that has happened in the past or that it will happen this time. And so I'd invite Mr. Trump to stop whining and make his case to get votes. (laughs) Sounds great. He made his case. He got votes. I guess it's time to move on. That is just rich. And remember when... Uh, during the debates, uh, they kept asking Mr. Trump if he would accept the election results, and he just said, I will look at it at the time. Uh, They freaked out because they thought he was threatening democracy itself. Now, we've had over a year of Russian collusion conspiracy theories, and apparently that's no threat to the stability of the country. It's amazing, the back and forth. There's stories today about how some of these loudest voices that are saying there's all this Russian collusion, they were actually at Russian-funded anti-Trump rallies. (laughs) And then also, unrelated to that, but just showing sort of the the flip-flopping of the media, last week after the Florida gun shooting, uh, school shooting, there was a lot of talk about mental health, and we've got to focus on mental health, which I think is an important part of it. But uh, and then uh, so President Trump said something about, you know, we do need to fo- focus on mental health. And then they flipped it around and said, quit focusing on mental health. It's nothing to do with it. That's what they said today. And it, they said the same media outlets reported the exact opposite thing a couple of days ago. So it's like, which one is it? Those media outlets do have just utter contempt for the intelligence of their audiences just to flip flop like that constantly and pretend like they never said the opposite of what they had they're just saying right now i mean anyone who's paying attention can notice that oh well you just said yesterday an exact opposite belief to what you have now but the the trend obviously is that whenever mr trump says something they have to say the opposite even if they would have agreed with him otherwise that's what one of the commenters on the the story i was looking at said they're like they the media will end up disagreeing with themselves just to be on the opposite side of whatever President Trump says. Well, the thing, the thing too, about uh, Barack Obama making that statement uh, before the last presidential election, there was even evidence at the time of Russian interference, and that's just a natural uh, part of, I guess, foreign espionage. There's always different governments trying to infiltrate or uh, in- influence in some way, but he ignored it because he thought it wouldn't uh, stop his preferred candidate from winning. He knew at the time when he said that that there were some threats, and he just ignored them. And, and still, to this day, there were 13 Russians indicted on Friday in that Mueller investigation. Uh, and like like you said, they might have funded a couple of anti-Trump and pro-Trump uh, type of events or posts, but it's it's a trivial thing, and no Americans were involved. That's the extent of the threats, because America's pretty well defended against things like that. Uh, it's just sad that now 
the whole nation is on the verge of collapse just because of uh, 13 Russians who might have posted a few things on Facebook. Andrew Miller has a video on thetrumpet.com about that, and it was they played the audio on the Trumpet Daily yesterday, and it's good to go back and watch that. It's a short video, and it was made a few months ago, but it, it talked about the fact that Russia doesn't care, you know, which way things go necessarily. They just want to cause division. They'll support one side of thing uh, of a topic, and then the other side just to get people fighting, <laughs> and uh, and yet, you know, it, it's made to be a big thing. I do think that. Anytime they talk about Russian collusion or they have a, a news story about it, it should start out with that clip of President Obama talking to Medvedev <laughs> with the hot mic saying, just wait till I get in next year, then we'll you know take care of different things. <laughs> just, just for what it's worth, let's just throw that out there. And what about the Uranium One deal where Hillary Clinton, I think, sold 20% of U.S. uranium to Russia? I mean, that's pretty clear collusion. The dossier that she funded that smeared President Trump in a lot of obscene ways. Uh, those those things are direct collusion, if you want to call it that, with the Russians. And it's funny that you mention um, some of these people flip-flopping like that, just like just like the media is doing as well. Uh, Russians are playing both sides, the media is playing both sides, and it's all for the purpose of stirring people up. So even the media seems like it has a lot in common with the Russians, if you wanted to go so far as... Uh, to accuse them. I mean, we're all throwing out accusations, so why can't we turn it around sometimes? Well, and then that's the the big issue is where's the truth of the matter? And of course, uh, the trumpet really gets to the heart of that. So make sure you check out the trumpet for headlines about Russia. And there's a lot there. Uh, we have a couple of interesting studies here to look at today. Um, they they fund these different studies at times. This is from Study Finds website. And it says, too much stress? The average American has 60 bad days a year, according to a new study. Well, on the positive side, that's 305 good days, right? <laughs> 60 bad days a year. Do you have 60 bad days a year? Probably not. Um, it, there are some days that are more stressful than others, but uh, a lot of it's just mental, keeping the right focus, even when things get a little bit harder. Yeah. I don't know if I, if stress really makes it a good day or a bad day for me, I guess. Uh, probably, uh, I guess days that I'm I'm kind of aimless, you know, I don't really have a lot to do. Those days sometimes end up being kind of bad days. I, f- I feel like if I'm busy, they're pretty good days. But researchers at Freeletics, a personal fitness and nutrition app, commissioned a poll of nearly 2,000 working Americans about how they dealt with stress, hoping to learn more about what constituted a bad day. Respondents on average indicated that they had 60 bad days a year, with 80% of these 24-hour periods being made at least partially unpleasant by work-related stress. However, sleep or a lack thereof was found to be the largest source of misery, accounting for 67% of an individual's dissatisfaction on any given day. Now, that, that I could really agree with. You just don't have a good night's sleep. The next day is pretty rough. Yeah, both of those factors are pretty huge. Uh, the work-related stress is is a big one. Anytime you have a deadline that you have to hit, but you feel like it it might be impossible, or if you ever procrastinate and then you have way way more to do than you should on a certain day, that that does make it hard. And it also does affect sleep. If you're going to bed and then knowing the next day is going to be difficult, it's like those things compound each other. Sleep. Sleep is really important. Even yesterday, I didn't sleep too well the night before that, and it was it was pretty difficult. I was really tired by the time it rolled around to like seven thirty last night. Yeah, I do wonder too, and this is something they wouldn't talk about in this poll, but I wonder how people would feel if they kept uh, the Sabbath, the weekly Sabbath. Mm. 
as a as a rest day, a reset day, a day of focusing. People like to talk about, you know, meditation and all that stuff. Well, what about, you know, keeping the Sabbath and focusing and on, on God's word? You know, that's a commandment, of course. Not a lot of people pay much attention to it, but, but I do wonder what the results would be if uh, that was factored in. Absolutely. I can't even imagine uh, at this point how people do it. Uh, it. It seems like a lot of activities that people engage in on the weekends are, are not really that restful at all they're, they're like more party centric type activities and so people never really get the chance to unwind and to reset uh, I feel tired enough as it is on Friday and couldn't imagine just not having the next day to try to recuperate yeah I mean even even just just thinking about the Sabbath topic there a little bit it, you know if you ever watch the news on a Saturday night uh in, in local news or national, but thinking of the local news, there's always murders, unfortunately, that happen if you live near a big city, especially. And you know, I just always think, well, you know, if people just, if they just kept the Sabbath, think about, you wouldn't have any of those problems on those days because people wouldn't be out, whether it's an accident, in, you know, at 2 a.m. after <laughs> partying or whether it's, uh, in most cases, a, a crime happens late at night, early in the morning in bad places or or bad situations. And so it's, it's interesting to just think about the law of God, and if you just started keeping certain components of it, ideally the whole thing, but even if you just break it down individually to laws, like how much things would change, it would be amazing. I think it would really surprise everybody. It really would. I mean, people if people just took some time to maybe stay home <laughs> one day one day of the week or, or at least not be going out uh, late at night once in a while, like you said, it, it would prevent a lot of accidents or imagine if like the criminals decided to at least take a day off. Um, the thing is Satan never rests. Probably right. criminals don't really take many days off either. So that's probably not one we can expect either. Now, some of the other things that, uh, cause stress and count for a bad day for somebody is uh, illness, financial worries, canceled plans. Sometimes canceled plans can be great. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> uh, we don't have to go and feeling unclean or disheveled also had the ability to ruin someone's day. I suppose that would be true. <laughs> In fact, bad hair days, they said, were fairly prominent responses. If you've ever, anyone's seen me, I haven't had a bad hair day in years. <laughs> One in four respondents indicated that frustration over uncooperative hair puts a damper on their day. Similar, similarly, other uh, sorry, another quarter of respondents admitted that having no hot water for their morning shower left them in a day-long bad mood. Well, cold showers are supposed to be helpful for your health, actually. That one, that one really showed me how <laughs> blessed we are to be in this country uh, and not some other places in the world where they might never get uh, a hot shower. I mean, that's 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 a relative luxury, and to be put into a, a day-long bad mood by something like that. Uh, probably just indicates how blessed we are. Yeah, I think a lot of cases, just getting into a bad mood is is pretty indicative of the fact that we're pretty selfish, pretty spoiled maybe, because, uh, like you said, the smallest sort of thing can really set people off at times. You, you know, you really stop and think about it. It wasn't that many years ago where there wasn't, you know, plumbing everywhere. You couldn't just push the button and or, you know, turn the knob and say, ah, make it hot make it cold, make it, you know, I mean, you'd have to go get water out of a well and boil it. And I mean, there's more activity involved. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. We think it is, but it really wasn't. And so we have all these conveniences now, but then I, I bet if we looked at people in the past and people today, there are more bad days today. 
mm-hmm. probably just because um, uh, being a little bit entitled, maybe. Right. The lack of gratitude is probably one of the biggest parts of why people are able to have two months worth of bad days every single year. I mean, think about what so many of our <laughs> problems or irritations consist of now. Like if our laptop shuts off for updates or if our TV is, is blacked out because of a storm or whatever it might be regarding technology or if our whole car is frozen over so that we have to sit there for a while waiting for it to warm up before we can drive off. Like those those things are such minor inconveniences and yet uh, it's pretty much every time they happen, it's it's almost infuriating. I was talking to somebody the other day. We were, we were reminiscing about when the internet was pretty slow, right? And and it was it wasn't surprising to click on a website and then you know know that it would take about two minutes or so forth to load. And nowadays, you know, and and that wasn't a problem back then. <laughs> that was amazing. But nowadays, if I if it's not instantly accessible, I'm done with it. You know, it's just because of what we're used to. <laughs> They say, meanwhile, a comparatively small percentage of respondents, 8% only, and and, uh, some would fit into this, said that their day could feel wrecked by their favorite sports team losing a game. (laughs) (laughs) That can happen. I've I've been there. I've had that happen. But then also, at some point, I realized, boy, it's not worth all the drama. So I tried to be a little more calm about it. I've had some success. Yeah, well, the key is just to lower your expectations. That's that's what I had to do. Some of my teams are just never going to do well. And so I shouldn't just have these huge hopes for them only to be extremely let down. Yeah, it's uh, uh, interesting also to look at what people do when they have a bad day. That's part of this report as well. They say negative feelings, no matter how long they persisted during the day, a lot of times resulted in unhealthy behaviors. Uh, Half the respondents said if they were having a bad day, they were more likely to eat unhealthy foods. 34% 34% said that they were more likely to drink alcohol. Uh, they call it comfort food, right? You know, you had a bad day, and then you may have a um, temptation to eat something that's a little more unhealthy. So that negative mood, that negative attitude kind of spirals then into other problems that are on, or other um, actions that are unhealthy also. It's actually surprising that those percentages aren't a lot higher, More, way more than half, I would think, would have some kind of comfort food on a bad day. You think... Of all days, I definitely deserve it now. Yeah. You know, I deserve the ice cream cone now or whatever, <laughs> sitting in front of the couch and, and eating a bag of chips or whatever it is. Or alcohol, you would think that'd be a lot higher than 34% too, just because uh, that's how a lot of bars get their business, people who just get like 20 drinks at a time. You know, I'm thinking what might not be a, well, it'd be a bad idea, but it might be a kind of a funny idea. You've, you know, you have like the fire extinguisher in your house. Uh, they should have the bad day glass case and in there is like a bag of chips like bad day <laughs> chips or you know help the comfort foods and then so if you had a really bad day not only do you get to break the glass which would feel kind of nice yeah. then you get everything inside so but you only can use it for emergencies right really and, bad days and you'd have to clean up the mess so you would you definitely know that uh, it was worth getting in there when you finally did it <laughs> right <laughs> some ways they say to help with stress include of course exercise and enough rest those are very helpful the one thing they don't mention but is very important is also just faith you know, sometimes stressors, you can just relax and have some faith and, mm-hmm. and find out what God says about it and then uh, trust in that. So those are some interesting statistics there. There's one other study that was interesting. This ties into a, a Trumpet article by Joel Hilliker the other day about eating dinner together with family. It says one in three can't get through a meal without looking at their phone, according <laughs> to a new survey. 
Researchers from the Weight Loss Service Nutrisystem commissioned about 2,000 people to determine how distracted uh, they are during the uh, dinner at the dinner table. 29% indicated their phone joins them for every single meal, while more than half said they bring their device to the table most of the time. Only 17% said they never bring their phone with them to a meal. So most people, when they sit down to eat, especially millennials, are uh, having their phone right with them. Yeah, that that definitely uh, is a pretty big problem that you see all over the place out in public. And it's it, it would only make sense that the same thing is happening at home. Uh, I've learned sometimes that the trick is to just, uh, once you get home, it's like a reset. So avoid even looking at the phone or turning on the TV until dinner starts. Because if you, if you immediately get home and start looking at those screens, uh, you don't usually want to take a break from them uh, for half an hour or however long it might be. Yeah, television factored in too. They say that is also an attention grabber during meals for participants. Nearly a third of those surveyed said that they often watch the tube while eating. Perhaps the worst part about this figure is that people were more apt to say watching TV made a meal more enjoyable than talking to friends and family at the table. So obviously there's a there's a few issues there, um, particularly maybe just the relationships in the home. Right. The love must not be uh, deep enough. And of course, TV is tailored to take our attention away from more important things. This is just another example of that. Uh, our friends and our family are not neatly packaged TV shows. They're not just like a ball of entertainment just waiting for us to play with it. So uh, you do have to have outflowing concern for other people uh, to make sure that you're not having the wrong priorities there. And these are these are all habits that, that are easy to get into. And I think, you know, following uh, Mr. Hilliker's advice or in that trumpet write-up about having a meal together with your family, you know, if it's something that we're not in the habit of doing, it can seem weird at first. Like, where's the entertainment? Yeah. Uh, but I think as a, as people try it, it, that becomes a habit, and they find out, wow, that's actually a lot more enjoyable. That happens sometimes when the power goes out. You know, where at first you're like, well, what are we going to do? And then sometimes you end up having a conversation, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, it, and it's quite enjoyable, something maybe you wouldn't have done otherwise. So uh, I can understand how people get into these habits. I've certainly done some of these things myself. And... Uh, it's about trying to stop that and then getting into the right habits. And and it, it helps not only just with, with the family development and just mental health, but also weight. They say when people are getting into, you know, looking at their screens, they don't even pay attention to how much they're eating or how fast they're eating. They're just kind of wolfing it down and, and focused on something else. And so they're really looking at this from the standpoint of physical health and, um, Stopping and actually paying attention to what's going in your mouth helps your physical health as well. Right. I mean, they they say here that uh, when you're looking at a distraction like that, you don't listen to your body telling you that you're full. It's easier to uh, just just zone out and not pay attention to the signals that you that you should be alert to. Uh, but that's what a screen does. That's that people they call them smartphone zombies. They call it, there are a lot of different names for those types of things because you don't notice any of the key elements of your environment or even in this case you don't even realize what your your own body is telling you Uh, that that just shows how um you know really destructive that kind of habit could be yeah and it's just like the the bad day uh it snowballs into other bad things and the bad habits of, of looking at the devices snowballs into other things they give some advice just that uh if you have a tr- trouble bringing your device to the table, 
try to leave it on a different floor of your home if you've got multiple levels, or just put it somewhere out of sight and out of mind. Uh, they say it'll be there when you're finished. <laughs> there is, it's, it's so funny. We've all experienced this. If we have these devices, it, it does sort of call to you, sometimes literally. <laughs> but you feel like, I got to go get that just because just in case somebody gets a hold of me or, and, and there might be times for that. But a lot of times, at least in my experience, there isn't really any reason to go get it, but it's just become such a habit that, uh, it's hard to leave it alone <laughs> and, and live life outside of the space of the smart device. Especially when in the evenings, when the work day is over, usually, uh, we don't have too many compelling reasons to make sure that our phone's on us at all times usually that should be uh, some family time for us anyway uh, so if people really want to get a hold of us at least we'll hear it ringing in the distance probably it doesn't have to be right next to us though yeah so some interesting uh, numbers there from uh, a few different surveys and and again we'll point you back to that trumpet.com article about eating together as a family that's uh, very helpful for the family here is a uh, story that you've heard a fair bit about over the years and um uh, probably experiences somewhat. It's from ZeroHedge.com. They take a look at money issues. The title is Debt Cancer. More than 80% of American adults owe somebody else money. Who are those 20% that don't owe anybody? (laughs) Congratulations. It says, how long can our debt levels keep growing much, much faster than the overall economy? We haven't had a year of 3% growth for the U.S. economy since the middle of the Bush administration. So the economy is improving in some ways. But here's the other side of it. We keep borrowing money as if there is no tomorrow. Much of the focus has been on the exploding debt of the federal government, and that is definitely something I plan to address, this author says. But on an individual level, U.S. consumers have been extremely irresponsible as well. In fact, one new survey has found that more than 80% of American adults are currently in debt. What are they in debt for? Or what what generations are in debt? 80% of the baby boomers. 79% of the Gen Xers, 81.5% of the Millennials. So everybody's in it together, right, about that 80% uh, level as far as 80% of the population having debt. Yeah, and the the federal debt is a huge problem, and it's almost like they set the trend for the rest of us. We look at our government and say, well, they're they're in debt, and they're— leading the country why can't we <laughs> do the same thing on a on an individual level too uh and it's so bad in washington that like we've heard from the trumpet daily radio show recently uh certain politicians like house speaker paul ryan who uh he used to who used to rail against the debt before going to washington now are satisfied with a budget that's not gigantically over uh, i guess over the line it, it, there's no hope of balancing the budget. They don't even really uh, try to anymore because of how how much the American people are addicted to all these different programs and to all this different spending. Yeah, it's really come to that to where you almost feel like, well, I'm not. I haven't gone into that much debt. <laughs> like that's a victory. You know, <laughs> uh, this write-up says, unfortunately. Uh, well, it talks about people getting some good jobs in some cases. They say, but unfortunately, those good jobs never really materialized for many people coming out of college. And for those that do, uh, they're having a hard time with the debt as well. But they're focusing on the students. They went to college. They got a uh, degree that they thought would really kind of lay the groundwork for the future for them. Uh, and in some cases, it has not. A study released Friday by the Brookings Institution finds that most borrowers who left school owing at least $50,000 in student loans in 2010 had failed to pay down any of their debt. 
four years later. Instead, their balances had on average risen by 5% as interest accrued on their debt. And there you are, you know, trying to get make ends meet day to day, and you got that $50,000 monster sitting there, and he's growing by the year. And we've heard a lot about different people who graduate college, and they have this nice degree, and they refuse to take a job that's anything less than the level of their degree. So they might move back in with their parents, or they might just wait for a while uh, searching the job market instead of jumping right in and making money right away. It, and so at least you start paying off the debt. Otherwise, that's right, there's interest on it. The debt is running away from you. And if you just wait like a year or two out of college to work, take a gap year like some people do, well, the debt is getting a lot bigger and you're not even making it the tiniest dent in it. Uh, you know, on the positive side, you can find some good stories of people that got busy, uh, worked really hard and, and paid debt down quick. But uh, one thing they all have in common is they, they became very disciplined and they lived pretty low to pay the debt because it's easy to think, okay, $50,000 in debt. Let's say you have a job where you make $80,000 a year. That's a pretty good job. And you think, oh, you know, a couple of years, pay down the debt. But when you really start looking at uh, this life expenses, especially what people expect their lives to be, you don't have that much at the end of the month no. <laughs> to be throwing towards debt. And you want things and you want to move on, but you got that huge debt sitting there. So it's a major problem. There are some borrowers who have borrowed even more than that. Actually, large balance borrowers now owe 58% of the nation's $1.4 trillion in outstanding student debt. So there are, I think, about... Uh, 17% of the borrowers are considered large, <laughs> bigger than 50,000. So I don't know what they did. I, I don't, you, hopefully they got a degree that says I'm the smartest person in the world because <laughs> I don't know how much they borrowed, but they were way, way in debt. And you've told me before and on this show too, just about how when you go to college, the the possibilities for student loans are everywhere. They're like, there's all these tables set up yeah. where you can get textbooks on credit. You can get whatever you want to on credit and it seems like it's so easy it's almost like it's free because they hand it to you so quickly but that that you'll always have to pay for it at some point yeah it does have that feeling when you enter college at least when i did of hey i'm getting everything together here you know starting college i got m all this money and then uh you know it, it can turn into a problem pretty quickly and how many of those uh students actually don't have a job during college. They're full-time students. So even then, what is that? Usually four years for them who uh, they're taking classes, they're accumulating more and more debt, and yet they're not even, they don't even have some sort of menial job at least to try to offset some of those costs. Yeah. Yep, for sure. So it's, it's, a, it's a tough situation for those people. Uh, Zero Hedge says, in addition to owing more than a trillion dollars on student loans, Americans are also now carrying more than a trillion dollars on auto loan debt and more than a trillion dollars on credit card debt. So there's lots of trillions here being thrown around, at least three. Corporations <laughs> have been incredibly irresponsible as well, and it gets into some of that. So pretty much anywhere you look... Uh, that's a major issue. And of course, it's easy to point at the federal government and say, you guys, what are you doing? You can look at local governments. We've had problems here in Oklahoma area uh, with budget shortfalls. But it's like every problem in the U.S. We have to look at ourselves individually. In the, we're we're kind of all in this uh, to some degree or another, at least if you look at the general uh, population. Absolutely. And it, it's just staggering to think about 
the amount of debt and just people's attitude about debt. Like, this is natural, this is fine, everything's okay. And like this author says, all it would take is some sort of a major economic downturn and everything falls apart from personal finances to businesses to even even the national government could be in quite a lot of trouble. I mean, this year we're set as a government to pay $310 billion just on interest on the government debt. So will they, will we even get to paying any of the actual debt at all or just, just the interest? That's, that's how out of control uh, a lot of people's personal situations are too. Yeah, I think it's, it's like the threat of nuclear war. <clears throat> like it's so, so devastating that people just don't want to think about it. And it's the same with the finances. I mean, it could turn so quickly and be so devastating, you don't even want to think about it. Mm. And I think that's probably where people are sitting. But there are there are ways to improve your finances. There's some great books at thetrumpet.com about that that you can get for free. One last thing here that this author from Zero Hedge says, it just makes a, a good uh, comparison here. He says, let me ask you a question. Would you willingly choose to give yourself cancer? Of course not. But that is essentially what we are doing to ourselves as a society. Debt is economic cancer, and as Lance Roberts has pointed out, if we continue to allow debt levels to grow like this, eventually we'll kill our entire economy. So, I mean, you know, everyone's scared of cancer, obviously, because it's such a killer, um, and no one would want it or give it to themselves, but financially, that's exactly what we're doing. Right, and that's just an example of how decisions that men make apart from God's influence apart from looking to biblical principles they just get way off track and I mean that, these are almost like suicidal decisions that people are making to get into you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt and the only thing it would take is for some sort of a credit card business to go under maybe and then all of a sudden you no longer have anyone who's willing to subsidize your debt and help you with that and you have to actually start paying it back, and you can't. I mean, that's that's going to put people out of work even pretty quickly, too. Bible says, of course, the borrower is servant to the lender. So that's the truth of it. Uh, one quick little story here, just kind of uh, uh, somewhat interesting, humorous, I guess. Uh, people have uh, a lot of time security cameras outside their homes, and every once in a while they check the footage to see what happened. <laughs> a homeowner in Wisconsin got quite a surprise over the weekend when he spotted paw prints in the snow in his front yard. So he checked the surveillance video. He thought, what is that? Only to discover he had a visit from a very large cat. He was shocked to see that there was a cougar staring in his window. <clears throat> didn't expect to see that looking in there. I didn't even know there were cougars in Wisconsin, but there are. He was from uh, Brookfield, which is just west of Milwaukee. So he, he looked at the footage, and there was a cougar just peeking in the window, checking on things. You never you don't know what's out there, what's looking around. Yeah, there was another story kind of like that with a Kansas City Royals pitcher who saw a mountain lion in his backyard, probably on the video footage too. But they they don't really have a problem with kind of venturing close if, if they haven't seen that there's much of a threat to their existence by getting closer. So they could just keep creeping up, I guess. I always wonder, you know, uh, during the day, you walk by someone's yard and uh, you see a dog in the yard or maybe you see a cat roaming around. And I always think, what are you guys up to? Like at night <laughs> right? when nobody, when, when all the humans are sleeping, what are you guys doing? Cause there's always, it's every night is like, well, it's wild, right? Mm. I mean, it's life, it's death. It's 
all kinds of things happening. You have cougars roaming about. <laughs> you don't know what's going on out there. The only, I mean, the only thing I've seen is deer in my yard. That's kind of cool. You know, mm-hmm. I like the, seeing them, but... Uh, but, uh, and, and once in a while we see a print or two in the mud and I think, I wonder what that thing was, you know, probably just a dog or something, but who knows? I don't, I guess in Oklahoma we, we could have some, uh, different types of, uh, big cats. I'm not sure exactly what's in the area, but yeah, definitely. There, there are a few different kinds. Um, that's right. During the night, those animals come alive because they're, they're pretty much just hiding out all day so that humans don't see them. (laughs) And then they come out at night and do who knows what that would be pretty exciting if if they'd actually show themselves during the daytime we'd have quite a show we actually we have a giant hawk in our neighborhood and he's sort of threatening all of us he, uh, <laughs> it's the same one that swooped down the other day i was telling you about it when really? i was throwing the baseball i think so <laughs> and we've seen him sitting on the stop sign in the neighborhood just like looking around and different fences and um he's just kind of owning it like mm, it's my turf <laughs> and so uh Beware rodents and small cats. <laughs> the uh, Trumpet.com today. Make sure you stop and check that out. Uh, top story is China's military more than just catching up by Tyrell Shlody. It says uh, China has invested billions of dollars into its military to bring it into the 21st century. No longer content to be a regional power, they have made huge strides in the past year to take their military to the global stage. And then it has a lot of details about what they're doing. So China's um, obviously plays the long game, and uh, they're watching us have all this debt build up, some of which they own. But at the same time, they're building their uh, military, and uh, you have to you have to know that they they certainly have an eye on how America is weakening financially, and uh, they're preparing to take a bigger role in uh, world affairs. Yeah, he said it was. I think it was um, seven new destroyers that they currently have under construction. Uh, that's pretty alarming to think about why they think that they need a military buildup like that. And he also brings out a really good point about how their so-called fighter jets actually focus more on taking out uh, advanced warning and different control systems. So they're not trying to, you know, engage in combat with our fighter jets or anything like that. But they're specializing in just obliterating systems that would affect the enemy's uh, opportunity to respond. Right, that's really important to consider because if you know a little bit about Bible prophecy, you know the United States doesn't really go to battle next time there's a major major war. Uh, they can't. Uh, we're crippled in some way, and and so when you see things like that, you can you know it really does ring the alarm bells mm-hmm. because, um, you know we are getting to that point. Whether it be say our weakness with just the. Uh, how how much we rely on the internet, how much we rely on things like that. Also, how much uh, debt we have, uh, the division in the country. You know, uh, how could you, e- even if you just look at the division in the U.S. right now, how could we agree to go fight a war, a serious one? How could we agree? I, I don't even think we could agree what color the uniform should be. Right. That's that's a really good point that there's pretty much no way we would ha- reach a consensus on uh, going to war. People. The American people are just exhausted when it comes to that. Even all of the conservatives just want to get out of the Middle East. They want to retreat inward uh, and avoid uh, losing the lives of American soldiers. But the thing is, American soldiers have signed up to to make that sacrifice if necessary. It's it's more the the rest of the people who are too afraid to let them do it. Yeah, and not not unified in any way. So check out that story there at the trumpet dot com, and then of course once you factor in. Russia with China and some of those other nations. It's quite a fighting force. 
the Trumpet Daily Radio Show today. Make sure you listen for that. Uh, highlights today of the Munich Security Conference. The Munich Security Conference gathers security professionals from around the world. It often serves as an annual snapshot of the state of the world. In the past, major themes have been Germany's new military assertiveness and the decline of the United States. And uh, featured on today's program from that conference was a great speech by um, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, where he just called out Iran and said, hey, does this look familiar? Because it's your drone. (laughs) He held up a piece of it. (laughs) This is yours here. They didn't like that, and Iran now, they have threatened to level Tel Aviv and kill Netanyahu if Israel attacks them. So there you go. Well, it's funny, too, because it sounded like they were denying that it was even their drone somehow. There's no way, there's no disputing that it was theirs that was in Israeli airspace and got shot down. Uh, but then they acted like it wasn't theirs. Then they proceed to make a threat like this. So obviously they're aggressive, and their main goal was to destroy uh, the Jewish state. Uh, uh, America if they could but right now they're trying to focus on their region. I, I love the speech and, and I know you will too because he just calls them out to their face <clears throat> now, for what they did and you know uh, what I found really interesting too is of course this happened I think it was on Sunday uh, it was over the weekend and I, I happened to catch a little bit of NBC's news on uh, Sunday night and so they played a little bit of the clip of Mr. Netanyahu saying that. And then, but their whole focus was on Iran's response. Oh, Iran said, oh, it's a circus and a carnival, you know, all this. And then they interviewed, they sit down and they interview the Iranian leader that was there. I forget his name. Javad, Mohammed Javad Zarif. Zarif, yeah. yeah. They interviewed him and got his perspective on it. And they didn't interview Netanyahu. And I thought, come on, you're going to sit down with, with this guy. He's a liar. He's a liar, and he's lying to everybody. He he didn't say that Mr. Netanyahu was wrong. He just said, ah, circus. It was a circus. Well, do you have drones in your circus? Because you <laughs> flew one of them into Israel, and they have right. it. Yeah, and then, they, and then obviously Iran responded by shooting down an Israeli fighter jet. So uh, there's a pretty clear indication there that any sort of provocation, I guess, by either side would lead to something huge. They're saying it, and we just have to believe that they'll also do it. Um, the The only party here justified is Israel. They're not the ones that uh, wander around Iran's airspace. They they don't have the supreme goal of uh, wiping Iran off the map. So why is it that MPC continues to give more of a voice to the Iranian leader? Yeah, it's amazing how people are just fascinated in the media with, well, like Iran or or North Korea, and they make the most ridiculous lying statements, and they're just like, wow, <laughs> like they're amazed by it. And even even a child, I think, would recognize, like, yeah, I think that's not true. <laughs> but they're just they're just dumbfounded by it for some reason. It's just, it's like they're hypnotized. It's almost like on a personal level when you come across one of those people who's, I guess you could say, playing hard to get like they're just not very nice and so the one time that they finally say something nice or they smile a little bit you're like oh this is great and you tend to ignore the people who are always nice to you and who are always uh serving other people because uh you didn't expect it from this other particular person yeah that's a great example that's exactly what it is yeah playing hard to get and the iranians all they have to say occasionally is like okay well We'll come to the table. doesn't mean we're going to concede anything, but we'll come to the table. And everyone's like, oh, look, we're going to have peace because they're just going to come to the table. Uh, it doesn't – what they're saying obviously doesn't mean anything. And, and like you brought out, they're willing to lie a million times as long as it advances their agenda. But we just take their words at face value for some reason. 
Yeah, that NBC interview they they asked Arif if um, the Iranian well he kept saying oh the U.S. is in violation of this deal and they said so the deal's over he's like no I'm not saying it's over but the U.S. is in violation and it you know if they don't stop and this and that I'm like could someone explain the deal to me like what (laughs) what benefit do we have I get that it's just this big facade as they continue to build nukes like I understand that part of it but what what would be the danger of them of of this quote unquote deal that doesn't even really exist that they never even signed? What what what's the bad part of it just going away? <laughs> like I don't I don't get it. I have no idea what what is even the party line on that sort of thinking. There's a lot of questions about that. I mean, is there a document that any one of us could read so we could finally clear up the confusion that everyone's had the last two years about this deal? Uh, did they sign it like you said? Did they, did Iran even sign it? Because if they didn't, it's obviously not binding in any way. Why is it that Iran won't let uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency even check its uh, nuclear weapons facilities? How, how come they've lied uh, to the U.N. at least 20 different times and then probably to us a bunch of times in the last two years about their nuclear weapons capabilities? Why do we continue to trust them when they keep on doing things like this? Yeah, I mean, making a deal with a liar. What good is that? They're gonna, my guess is they're going to lie because that's what they do. So anyway, make sure you listen for that Trumpet Daily Radio Show. Just a great, great program today. Uh, we want to finish today by talking about a, a really interesting topic here. Uh, caught my attention. USA Today talks about this. The title of their article is Are Boys Broken? Another mass shooting renews debate on toxic masculinity. There was a, a comedian, uh, I believe, that put out a tweet after the shooting saying that boys are broken, which uh, I agree with, although he had different thoughts on why they're broken. And so I, I looked at this USA Today article. I was going to try to find some quotes, but they were all so ridiculous that there was really nothing of value in it. I, I'm serious. <laughs> I'm not trying to make a joke. I mean, they were just, it was just ridiculous from the front to the back. They want to talk about toxic masculinity. And, and so here, you know, is a case where they're asking the right question. Are boys broken? Is there a problem with boys and, you could, and then men as well? Uh, yeah, for sure. But then they come to this completely wrong answer. They say, well, they need to be more feminine. Right, it's toxic masculinity, and uh, but the the answer to this isn't toxic masculinity. It's toxic human nature <laughs> running wild, and boys aren't learning how to have biblical masculinity, and that's the issue. That's the issue. Is they're getting away from biblical masculinity. It's so far gone. I don't think people even have a concept of what that is anymore. So we wanted to look a little bit at this article from the Trumpet dot com by Brad McDonald from uh, a few months ago. The world needs more ma- more masculinity, not less. You know, nobody wants to to hear that today. They keep blaming masculinity for these things. But the fact that they don't even understand what biblical masculinity is, that's why we're having all these problems. Absolutely. And it starts pretty young, uh, dismantling uh, boys and turning them into wimps, you could say. I mean, in most every school, the vast majority of teachers are women. And there's nothing wrong with that except for that boys don't have these male role models to look to and obviously the women are not going to relate to the boys sort of need to roughhouse and to you know be louder sometimes they're going to be a little bit more aggressive and assertive than girls are and uh, that has been uh, muzzled a lot in in a lot of public schools especially i mean there there is like a push to extremely punish boys for just being boys in schools then they grow up and they're told that 
well, their whole lives are going to be potential rapists just because they happen to have the male anatomy. That's what a lot of toxic masculinity is talking about. So is it any wonder that they're broken and they retreat from leadership and become a really more of a threat to society than anything else? Yeah, because human nature doesn't go away. It just becomes very selfish. And I mean, you know, even and we're not talking about quote unquote traditional masculinity here. We're talking about biblical masculinity. And but even if you think about the quote unquote traditional masculinity that people might have in their mind with oh, the rough, tough guy, when's the last time you saw a school shooter that looked like that? I mean, I haven't been many that I can think of. No, they look pretty, pretty much like, uh, you know, they're they're not they're they're not in that that uh, they wouldn't fit that description. This write up here says, "What is biblical masculinity?" First, traditional masculinity, as it's understood today, is not biblical masculinity. That's a very important point. To be sure, some aspects of traditional masculinity are rooted in biblical teaching and principles, so there's some value there. But these principles have generally been misunderstood and misapplied. Moreover, traditional masculinity does not include the essential knowledge revealed in the Bible about what it means to be a godly man. Traditional masculinity, for all its merits, is not biblical masculinity. And so that's a really important point uh, to look at because it's easy to think, oh, traditional masculinity, that's what they're talking about. Well, there are differences there as well. Very true. And when people think of traditional masculinity, especially the the feminist movement, they think of uh, basically a bunch of brute beasts who can't control themselves and are uh, extremely immoral when it comes to uh, their sexual behavior especially or the way that they treat women and so they think it's something that needs to be totally wiped out they don't they don't even consider that so much of masculinity has to do with uh, being tender toward women and and having the right kind of mindset to where you can control yourself um, they just think that masculinity is this horrible example that a lot of so-called men are are putting out there today yeah i think the idea is that it's just overpowering people yeah uh, but this write-up says, what exactly is biblical masculinity? Pretty straightforward here. Ultimately, being masculine means using the power of God to conquer selfish human nature, to submit to God's will, and to fulfill the responsibilities that come with being a man. Being, a, being male, and particularly a husband and father, comes with various responsibilities, but fundamentally a man's job is to love and serve God first, then family, and then fellow man. So when you think about that definition, uh, and if people worked to raise their boys to be that way, and if the boys responded, and and, uh, and really, I mean, they will. It's up to the parents what they want to do with their kids in a lot of ways. You're not you're not going to have school shootings. You're not going to have uh, all these you know Me Too movements happening and things like that, because a a uh, biblically masculine man's not going to get involved in that, that those things. Because all of those things, all those problems inherently are selfish issues. Taking something, doing something that harms somebody else because of whatever selfish reason. Uh, that's not what God's Word says a man should do. Right, and, and a biblically masculine man is going to ensure that the next generation has, there's no chance that they engage in uh, atrocious shootings like the one that we saw last week because he's going to be keeping... Satan out of the home. He's not going to be letting influences in where 
his son can play all kinds of violent video games, watch all kinds of abhorrent movies and, and engage in other types of entertainment like that. He's going to be involved in his son's life so that uh, he knows what's going on. He's going to love him, but also lead him and correct him and get him back on track when there's a problem. That's that's the type of men, the type of fathers that we need right now, uh, not not a father who is an absentee or 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 some other um, adoptive parent who can't control what's going on in his own home and has to have the police come there 39 times, which was the type of environment that Nicholas Cruz was in. So if a real man was leading that home, uh, Nicholas Cruz would have been under control. And those parents, those, I guess, adoptive parents would have known that, yeah, this is a, this person is a, he has something wrong with him and the man would have stepped up and tried to fix it. Yeah. It's, uh, Interesting that they, they want to focus on this idea of toxic masculinity in relation to school shootings. But when you look at the perpetrators of those events, in almost every case, they came from a broken home. That's what uh, Andrew Miller wrote about last week on thetrumpet.com. In almost every case, you can go back and look at the history, and the the dad wasn't there. Or, you know, there was a weird situation where maybe, you know, and maybe the parents just died or something happened. But anyway, there was a bad situation and it didn't have the proper structure of the home. But why doesn't the media talk about that? Well, maybe ignorance for one. But number two, it goes against the social changes that they're pushing. And it's it's very frustrating as a, as an observer of events to, to watch horrible activities occur like this school shooting and then watch the media try to take it and make it a support for their ideologies. And say, oh, well, look, another guy shot some people so we must we got to get rid of this toxic masculinity and they're just taking real tragedies and and just using it to further their agendas it's pretty frustrating to watch that especially when in almost every case they are uh, directly supporting the problems they are very much pro single motherhood they they're all about welfare programs that would even incentivize uh, that kind of family situation so why do they then turn around and, and, and look at the result of those broken homes that they wanted to exist and then, and then blame that? I mean, the only time there should be a single uh, motherhood household hold is if there's a father who dies. And that's really the only reason it should even happen. Uh, and then when that does happen, the mother has to take on the, the roles that the father has to, uh, sadly enough, and she has to be a lot stronger and she has to get the son in line and then and, and be that uh, supreme authority figure in the home. Uh, so even, even in these cases where single mothers are there, a lot of those situations are because of breaking God's laws and, and they're not making up for it by taking on the man's role when they have to. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, scriptures given in this uh, write-up. The world needs more masculinity, not less, that just lay out how a man is supposed to act according to God's word. And uh, just to sum up a few things, it says love, honor, and provide. Those are what men are supposed to do. Are these toxic characteristics? Is anybody going to say, oh, that person really gives love and and honor to people and they provide for them? What a terrible person. Let's get them out of here. <laughs> of course not. Of course not. Those, But that's biblical manhood, masculinity. These are the characteristics of true biblical masculinity. These are traits that produce happiness and joy that build stable, 
contented, thriving families and communities and nations. And it says, can you see it? The problem here isn't toxic masculinity. It's toxic human nature. And the solution is conquering that human nature. For men who understand this reality, the way to conquer human nature is to embark on the spirit-led, spirit-infused crusade to develop biblical masculinity. And there's a booklet, or it's really a book, for free. It's at thetrumpet.com on biblical manhood, and it gives a lot of specifics. And I think, you know, men have a responsibility to stand up against the the lies of these societal movements and not live that way or, or think that they have to live that way. And then parents have a responsibility to raise their boys to not believe those lies. You don't, you know, there's, you're a boy, there's nothing wrong with that. You should be, and then you should grow into be a man, and here's how God says to do it. And I don't care what the media says about it. That's, that's so, that's so true. And this word that he uses there, that, uh, that crusade, that spirit infused crusade to develop biblical masculinity, it's, it's so fitting because it does take, uh, mental, spiritual warfare to fight against all these different, uh, causes that are out there and all these different movements that are meant to undermine the man's role. All these studies that come out from uh, so-called scientists and experts who say that the man isn't even needed in the home anymore. And that's uh, just an obvious satanic lie. Uh, and, and men have to know that and they have to realize that they are needed and that those are the most the ones who fulfill their role the way they should are the most attractive to women and they're the ones who comfort women and children the most of all uh they're at they're a fundamental need of any society that's going to be successful and they can't let anyone tell them differently yeah check out this write-up though this world needs more masculinity not less and the booklet biblical manhood and then you have the courage to stand up against the the uh just the peer pressure of the society which is full of a lot of lies when it comes to this subject it's all the time we have for today on Trumpet Radio Live. Make sure you listen to the Key of David program and the Trumpet Daily Radio Show coming up for myself, Dwight Falk, and for Grant Turgeon. Have a great rest of your day. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.